we appreciate the message he carries. And I know you're going to be inspired and thought-provoked, certainly, by some of the things you're going to hear tonight. Let's give an incredible, passionate, warm Edinburgh welcome as it comes. nice to see. Uh, <laughs> the thing that happened was a friend of ours came back from the States and he too had become a Christian. I didn't have too much of a problem with that because he was always a nice person. I thought he was anyway, you know. I always thought that to be a Christian you were a nice person. But they both said they were born again and uh, I kind of found that quite amusing. So I, I would go and visit them. He was over for three or four months in Great Britain. At that time, I was living in Birmingham, and Kevin lived in Nottingham, and this guy, Paul, was kind of keeping down on his settee. And one night, we went out together. We went out to some kind of wine bar. They were fashionable back in the 80s, those of you who remember. I got a little bit drunk, as one does. I had two glasses of wine, and I was everybody's. And so we came back pretty early on, around about 10 o'clock, and uh, the conversation started about Jesus. It was me that initiated it because I now had a lot of courage, otherwise known as Leap for Milch, decided I would ask all those questions again. Before I knew where I was, that a demon coming out? Before I knew where I was, what I found was happening was this, is that this sense of an atmosphere took place, and it was almost like there was a stillness, and every question that I, that I tried to ask kind of was presented with this feeling of what I know now was God, but at the time I had no idea. I found myself crying, and I was the one trying to prove that Jesus wasn't real. And I fell on my face on a corner settee unit and asked Jesus into my heart and into my life. The reason I did that is because Kevin had said to me, if you were the only person on the face of the earth God loves you so much, Simon, that he sent Jesus to die for you. He did that so you could have a relationship with him. I'd never heard that kind of message before, and I've been in churches all my life. I went to Catholic school and everything, but the message of the cross to me was always about my guilt and my shame and how wrong I was, and that's how I perceived it anyway. But they were telling me that God loved me, and God cared so much about me that he was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, to be beaten and murdered really publicly so that I would know that I know that I know how precious I am to God and God wanted a relationship with me. As I said what we call the sinner's prayer, I kind of looked around, you know, I thought maybe my name would be written on the wall in lights. Maybe there'd be angels or music at least, for goodness sake. But there wasn't any of that, but I could really sense this presence and um, I, I was quite alarmed by it, and at the same time, it, it very much appealed to me. So I, I said goodnight. It was about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Got back into my car and began to drive back to where I was living, which is Birmingham, which is about an hour away from Nottingham. And as I was driving in my car, I began to sing. I used to be a singer. I began to sing all these songs that I used to sing in those boring school assemblies. And there was one song in particular that started to kind of become evident to me. And some of the older folks will remember it. It went, I'll walk with God from this day on. 
And the words go, his helping hand I lean upon. This is my prayer, my humble plea. May the Lord be ever with me. Sounds very religious, but it meant a lot to me at that time. So by the time I got back to Birmingham, I was really pumped up. I was so excited. I was crying. I was laughing. I had the most amazing trip. (laughs) And I don't mean the journey. I mean the trip of experiencing this awesome, incredible presence in the car on the way home. And so I decided that I needed to tell someone. So I waited for my mother to get up at the crack of noon. She fell out of bed with a fag on and a rollers in. And I said, Mom, I've become a born-again Christian. And she said, Holy Mary, Mother of God, and began sprinkling me with holy water from a little font that she had at the door. I thought this was good news. I thought you'd be happy. Get out, get out. We'll have no foreign gods in this house. She said she was from Wales. (laughs) And my journey began with God. And I remember kind of going about my business. And uh, I I would kind of, I would sense things, you know. I'd be with people and, and I would believe that God would tell me things about people, you know. And there were things I didn't want to know. I remember one time I was out shopping with my mom. She used to make me go and uh, we were at Tesco's. And we were in this queue. I'd only been a Christian a couple of weeks. And there was this lady in the queue. And she had two or three kids with her. I think it was three. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm not very patient in queues. I don't know. What, what is that about? So I'm standing there thinking, there's so many other great things I could be doing. I really don't want to do this. And I really sense that God said to me, you know, go and tell her that I still love her. Go and tell her that I love her. And I thought, I'm not doing that. Forget it. It ain't going to happen. And she got to the kind of part where she put her, what you call up here, messages onto the, <laughs> onto the conveyor belt. And uh, she dropped her purse on the floor. And the kids were running wild. And so my mother, being a good Irish mother, nudged me to go and help. And so I find myself on the, the floor around the feet of this woman, gathering her money and trying to control her kids. And as we stood up together, our eyes met. And I felt God say to me, now. And I said to her, God loves you. He wants me to tell you that he loves you. And she started to cry. I thought, this just gets better, doesn't it? Doesn't <laughs> this just get better? She said, you know, I used to be a Christian. And I'm looking over my shoulder to see where my mother is. (laughs) And she said, you know, I walked away from God. I got married to this guy and um, I believed I I would be happy. And I found out even yesterday that um, he's been having an affair with a lady that lives next door to me. And I remember praying this morning, God, if you still love me, I want you to tell me. I want you to show me. I didn't realize I was the answer to an incredible cry in the heart of that woman, but those things happened to me all the time. You know, I would go places and God would show me things about people, and he still does show me things about people, and I've just learned to handle it a little bit better and get a bit more used to it. But why I say that to you is, before I tell you what happened to me, we need to know that when God speaks about these things, these things that are really important to us, He's not speaking about them to show us up. He's not even speaking to us about them to out us from all kinds of hidden places in our heart. He's speaking to us because he loves us, because he cares deeply about the things that we would never talk about or never share with another person. God sees them 
And he loves us in the midst of them, not in spite of them, in the midst of them. And he wants to speak into that. And so that's what happened to me. I've been a Christian at that point about three weeks. All these things are happening, and I couldn't deny that God was real. I cried a lot. (laughs) I still do. I sensed God's heart for people everywhere I went. That was great. But one day I had a question of my own I wanted to ask God. And this question kind of kept bugging me all day long. It started when I woke that morning, and throughout the day I kept getting reminded about it and so on. And I decided when I would go and be with God, which was a little bit like a safe place for me in my mother's house, I'd spend hours just kind of talking to God and singing and all the stuff you do. And I decided when I get there, I'm going to ask God this question. Now, the two guys that led me to Jesus, they gave me a Bible. It was a good news Bible. I wasn't a great reader. You know, the only things I read were the horoscopes. And uh, I wasn't really that interested in literature. I was a singer, a dancer, an actor, and I was involved in all that kind of stuff. So I didn't have those interests. I was not an academic, and I certainly wasn't interested in finding out about theology. But they gave me a Bible, and they said, God will answer all your questions, Simon. He he has written this. It's like a big love letter for you. And uh, it's got loads of great secrets in here that you need to know. So if you have a question, you know, then ask God and he'll show you from the Bible. And I thought, oh yeah, of course he will. And I put the Bible on a shelf in my bedroom somewhere and completely forgot about it, to be honest with you. Although I kind of had this relationship with God, I wasn't reading the Bible. When I got to my kind of quiet couple of hours with God that day, where I just talked to him and tried to listen to what was on his heart for me. I said this to God. I said, God, I picked up the Bible. I thought maybe the answer's in here. God, is it wrong for me to be gay? Now, remember what I said to you. I'd never read the Bible before. Didn't know what was in it. Figured Jesus would be mentioned. And maybe God the Father and what we used to call in Catholic Church the Holy Ghost. That was about it, really. And so I opened the Bible. (laughs) I did what I would say to people not to do. (laughs) Now, I just kind of took a risk on God. And the first words that my eyes fell upon were halfway down a page in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, no homosexual, adulterer, murderer, fornicator shall enter the kingdom of God. It goes on to say that such were some of you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word homosexual was probably mentioned about four times in the Bible as homosexual. It's alluded to probably another three times. The chances of me finding the word in the Bible are pretty slim, even if I knew where to look. I kind of figured this might be God, and I wasn't pleased. I really wasn't. I threw my Bible across the room, and I told God where to go. I went out that night to get my hands on the first man I could get my hands on. The thing that made me so angry was this. They told me that God loved me, and if I was the only person on the earth, Jesus died because of that. And now I thought I was hearing God say I wasn't going to go to heaven. And I remember saying to God that day as I read that that passage of the Bible, what the heck are you playing at? What is this all about? Are you playing hokey with me, God? One minute you love me, the next minute I can't go to heaven. And why can't I go to heaven? Because I have these emotions, these feelings, these desires that I didn't choose to have. And I was very, very angry with God. And I decided I would just get as far away from this Christianity stuff as possible. Anyway, I went to the local gay club. It was called the Nightingale, very fitting. Began dancing with this guy, and it's hard to believe now, but way back then I was reasonably good looking. Things were kind of getting good, you know. It looked like it was all on. 
And we were dancing together and the music was going and people were taking stuff and doing stuff all around us, as is the case. Suddenly, I caught a glimpse of his eyes. I just saw this death, really. It was like the eyes of somebody who had seen too much. And I was frightened. Frightened by the depths of darkness that was in this person's soul. I know now that the Bible says that the eyes are the windows of the soul, but remember, I didn't know the Bible. But I was scared by this. And I remember saying to God, I don't want to end up like this. So there we were, kind of dancing on the floor, and I'm saying, you don't have to be like this. (laughs) If you were the only person on the earth, God so loved you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. Do you remember the 80s big box, small box, tall box? As you can imagine, it didn't end up in sex. We sat up until 4 or 5 in the morning talking about God and about what God was like and what I thought he was like and what I found out about him in the short time I'd known him. I just went home. Back in those days, I was a real clubber. So when I came in, I would take one last long lingering look at the beauty that beheld me in the mirror. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, gosh... What's happened to you? You've changed. Something's happened to you. I began my journey with God. Asking all kinds of questions about why I'd lived the way I'd lived, why I'd done the things I'd done. How did God really feel about that? And the first place I came to to try and find answers, because I'd not even gone to church at this point, was a local church that somebody recommended to me. And I remember going to church. Now, it's hard for you to picture this, but I had a 24-inch waist, spray-on leather trousers, and hair that a flock of seagulls would feel quite at home in. (laughs) Remember, it's the 80s. Think shoulder pads and big hair. Obviously, some of you think it's back in fashion. but (laughs) (laughs) But we will be praying for you later. (laughs) And so I thought, if I go to church... I'll meet people who love God and they'll see that I love God too and they'll help me. They'll answer my questions. They'll show me where things are in the Bible and they'll teach me how to love God more and how to come to terms with some of the things I feel. And I went to church and two things happened. The ladies asked me to do their hair and the guys kept their backs to the wall. And I realized that perhaps this wasn't the environment I thought it was going to be. I remember one time, I've been going to church for quite a number of months And I overheard, I was waiting to talk to the pastor, trying to make an appointment to ask him about some real important questions to me. And I overheard him say, oh, God must be working in Simon's life. I'm Simon. Because he's had his hair cut. And everything in me just sank. And I thought, how did this become about fashion? How did it become about the outside? When God, you seem to be knocking the door of my heart so much about the inside. To God, I believe the outside is a secondary issue. I don't think it's unimportant. But all we're doing is communicating the pain that's on the inside. And so I believe God wanted to help with that. And so I started my journey. I read lots of books. I remember going through a whole phase of trying to come to terms with the fact that maybe I was born a homosexual. So I read every book I could find on homosexuality and the medical proof for a gay gene. And I discovered that the majority of people who'd written those books actually were homosexual themselves. Although they were involved in the medical profession, they were in relationships with people of the same sex. So it's pretty unlikely you're going to write a book that disproves who you are. 
I decided that I'd look at some Christian counseling books on homosexuality to find that there was such a variety of people. There were people saying, just accept who you are. You know, you can't help who you are, just accept who you are and live a celibate life. And then there were other people saying, this is the devil. You know, you need to vomit in a bucket and get rid of those demons. And to be really honest with you, I tried both. I was desperate to be everything I believed that God had shown me it was possible for me to be. I would go anywhere. I would do anything. If it meant vomiting into a bucket, if that's what it took to be free from some of this anxiousness inside, this stuff that I didn't know what to do anything about with, then I would do that. And then, thank God, God puts a couple of people around my life And one of the most amazing breakthroughs for me came from a lady in a church. She was a young girl. She did school's work. I ended up doing it with her. Her name was Michelle, a very creative, very beautiful, passionate woman. Dedicated her life to Jesus at the age of eight and gave up a huge career. She could have had a massive career in the medical profession to go and do school's work. She loved Jesus. And she came to me. She said, I was praying for you yesterday. And she said, God told me that don't be frightened to love him like a lover. I said, what does that mean? And she turned with me in the Bible to the Song of Songs and began to show me how God wanted to relate to his church, that was me and you, in such an intimate and profoundly wonderful way. So I began to explore my lover. I began to find out hidden things about him. And at the time in the charts, there was a lady called Whitney Houston, and she had a song called He's All the Man I Need. And that was my anthem. Cheesy and corny as it sounds, that was my worship song. I don't know if you remember the words that go along like this. He lifts me up. He gives me love, more love than I'll ever need. He's all I've got. He's all I've got in this world. And he's all the man I need. And that's how I related to God. And you know, I would love to say to you that the church understood that. (laughs) But they didn't. What I found used to happen is that people would try and get me to be straight. I remember going to counseling to some huge international evangelist, and I said, you know, I want you to pray for me. I want to be free to be all that God wants me to be. And he asked why, and I said, I have a problem with, you know, same-sex attraction. He said, just set a date for your wedding and trust that God will provide the woman. And I remember walking away from that prayer thinking, God help the woman. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? So that's my story, really. When I tell my story, I could talk you to death about this. But I'm choosing not to go that route tonight. I'm leaving pauses for God to bring some things to the surface. I got married 13 years ago. You'd be glad to know it was to a woman. Or maybe you won't. I remember standing at the front of that church. Pastor who kind of believed in me and, and saw God in my life was the guy who was doing the ceremony. And I stood there and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And there's not a wedding photograph that I have that hasn't got bloodshot eyes on it. And I cried for this reason. I can't believe what God has done for me. I can't believe sometimes I look at my life and I think, how did that happen? How did you do that, God? How did you change me in such a profound way? And you know, the biggest change 
wasn't the homosexual one. That's the one that everybody likes me to talk about. Do you know the biggest change was? I went from being an orphan to someone who knows that he's a son. That's the most dramatic change. And people come to me all over the place and say, you know, can you help me? I need to talk to someone who's journeyed my journey. And they say, how did you get free? I don't have any magic wand to wave over their lives. And sometimes they get a bit disappointed about that. Here's what I believe caused the changes in my life. I fell in love. I fell in love with God. I'm still in love with God. I'm obsessed about God. I can't get enough of God. I breathe and I think I'm so privileged to be in this relationship that you have bought for me, Jesus, with your life. God's the best thing, the kindest person I've ever, ever met. He loves me when I'm really unlovely and he keeps loving me when I think I'm doing okay. I think that message needs to get out a bit more. I think it's what the world has been looking for. In all the wrong places, they're looking for the right thing. So for me, in my life, that's what happened to me. I don't have desires for men, you'll be glad to hear. And there's only one woman that I have a desire to be sexually intimate with, and that's my wife. And I believe that God has made us a very unique couple in that sense. So I'm done, really. And this is weird, because I never do this. But I want to give you time to ask some questions. Is that okay? Okay. Okay, folks, we've heard some glimpses into Simon's journey. I'm sure many of you got questions. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed to ask. I'm sure it's a question that everyone else would be asking. They just not have the courage to ask it. So any questions, I'll bring the mic to you. Then we can record the questions so that it's on the MP3. Praise the Lord, Simon. Amen. Um, I'm grateful to see somebody like you standing in front of Christians and sharing your testimony with us. And I've liked the aspect that you, you th- the changing of your life was first to love God, and then you can love um, your wife. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the greatest um, direction of love, and that's what all of us are supposed to take. And thank you for giving me that insight. However, my question is, um, since you changed your, God changed you, how has been your relationship with the rest of those who still hold on the fact that homosexuality is a, re- a right way of living? How has my relationship been with people? How have you, you now continued to, say, preach to them or help them understand the fact that if they loved God, then they would be able to love, be straight, maybe, I may say. Thank you. First of all, I don't encourage people to be straight. I don't think straight's all it's cracked up to be. What what I do encourage people is to be lovers of God. And uh, I think in that process, God brings whatever changes... God desires to make in that. Um, you know, one of the things we have to be careful with with people is to add more pressure to their lives. You know, people's hearts are very precious things. And when they fall in love with God, they want to do and to be everything that God wants them to be. And it's a great, great privilege and a responsibility for the church to help them on that journey. What we don't want to do is add more weight. Didn't Jesus come to take weights off? And so for me, I I don't tell people that they have to end up in the same place as I am. What I tell people is they have to end up in the place that God has called their destiny, whatever that is. And so I encourage them to get to know God. You see, hanging out with God changes people. 
that's why you're different than you used to be. We love to think it's great preaching and fabulous programs that change the world. (laughs) I'm sure you get all of that here. But you know, the presence of God changes people's lives. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Life evermore at his right-hand side. And so what I try and do when people come and ask me questions and they're trying to discover ways of developing their life and moving on in their life, I encourage them to get to know God. The first thing that most homosexual people identify with is the struggle I had with my father. Most gay men that I speak to will say that they didn't connect with their father. They found that relationship a struggle. Often there's neglect. Sometimes there's been abuses. Often there's a real sense of abandonment and rejection. And so the best thing I could do to them is encourage them to know God as a father. Because in knowing God as a father, some of those rejection problems and issues that are the very source that drives people searching for love actually get healed and restored. And so the first part of call in answer to your question would be fall in love with God, but know him as a father. Know his tenderness, his compassion, his love, and his mercy over your life. And it's the best adventure that any human heart could go on, whether you're straight or gay, because it changes everything. It changes your concept of yourself, and it changes your concept of who God is and how he feels about you. Does that answer your question? Yes, I can see your hand. Do you want to get saved? Is is that what's (laughs) happening? I have a friend who's been uh, gay. Uh, He's 50 now. He's done everything. He's tried everything. He's Christian. Uh, he says he's never slept with a man, but those feelings are so strong for him. He's been in church. He's been kind of re- really reading the word and being close to God. And he says he's close to God, but uh, those feelings, ever since he was a, a young boy, have failed to go away. But the only way he could, and like you said, he reads those books that say, oh, know it and accept it as it is. But he has a desire to stop having those feelings and he gets frustrated but he does not know how and I was just wondering uh, what kind of methods if there were any uh, that you used to rid yourself of those feelings I don't think I have any methods so it would be wrong for me to pretend that I have but you know I've met lots of Christians who don't know God as their father and, and once again, I reiterate that as a priority he might be very committed to his church he might do the whole speaking in tongues and be profoundly, wonderfully charismatic. But does he know who God really is in relationship to him as a father? That is one of the greatest healing messages for every human heart. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except they come through me. And I believe what Jesus was saying is that I'm not the ultimate destination. I came to retrieve a relationship that had been severed through sin. Jesus is the way to the Father. You'll notice all the time in Jesus' teaching that he always points people towards his Father. He says things, when you've seen me, you've seen my Father. The Father and I are one. Sometimes people get camped at the Jesus revelation without being allowed or maybe open to another revelation of God as their heavenly Father. That is what I believe is a key message to most people who struggle with homosexual issues. It's a fatherless problem. Does that answer your question? No. Never mind. (laughs) Next time, I'll bring my magic wand. (laughs) 
You look like you've got a list of questions there. Is that? <laughs> I really appreciate and I'm very happy to be here at this meeting and hear what I have heard. I'm Latin American and as, uh, as you may have know already, it's a problem all over the world and mm-hmm. over there too, but you have said some things that I'm a physician, I'm very interested in prevention. And so many things that you have mentioned already are that this is the lack of affection in your childhood yeah. or something like that. Right. I would like you to abound more on those factors that as future parents, as future families, we should prevent. I'm a believer, but I have my fights. Mm-hmm. But I fight deadly with some kind of old ways of being. But my fight goes underground. Nobody noticed. That's right. And they praise God at my side with no problem. <laughs> but what about your friends when they convert? Some many of them went into operations and got some kind of implants and things like that or gone into hormones and got the voice changed and things like that. And they come to the church and to the congregations. Do you think their fight is less, less a fight than our fight? No. Well, these are my questions. <laughs> no. I think, um, remember what I said to you? I said it on purpose. Every one of us is is sexually dysfunctional. We just have degrees of dysfunctionality. Um, One of the greatest privileges I've ever had in my life was at a gay club one time. As a Christian, I used to go out sometimes to the gay club. Don't tell the church, Alan. Don't do it anymore because nobody would ask me to dance. But that's another story. (laughs) Any joke. If there was any religious spirit here, it'll be gone by the end of the night. You do know that, don't you? I would go out, and and in my youth group, I was a youth pastor for many years. What what I would do is take some of the guys and the girls from the youth club out to the gay clubs. And uh, we would just hang around the parameters of those clubs and just pray. Just ask God to give us a heart for people who struggle with these issues. Some people thought I was mental doing that, and some people thought it was really exciting to do. But... I did it because I believed it was God. And one occasion I met uh, a lady and um, she came up to me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, I come to your church. I thought, oh God, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) And uh, she said, why are you here? And I said, oh, I just just felt it would be right to bring a couple of folks out just to be here, just to, to kind of be in this environment and just to ask God to help us to communicate his love. And she said, oh, I'd love to talk with you. Very attractive lady. And uh, I said, okay, that would be cool. And so I met with her. She was um, a beautician. So I met with her. She had a little business. I went there. And as I'm talking to her, I began to notice things. And she said, yes, you're right. I'm a transsexual. And she told me a story about how just after she'd had her operation, she met someone and she gave her heart to Jesus. For the last 20 years as a Christian, she'd been living with incredible guilt and shame. And she asked me some life-changing questions for her. Do I try and live as a man? (laughs) She had all the equipment of a woman. Do I go back and try and live as a man and undo those things? And I just felt that God put a zip on my mouth. And I was reminded of a passage in the Bible where it talks about people being eunuchs unto the Lord giving their lives as an act of devotion without sexual contact with someone else as a love offering, as a worshipful act unto God. And I said, you know, I think that you have the highest calling of just about anybody I've ever met. And I began to just talk to her about that. And she, for the first time in her life, felt that who she was and who she had become 
was acceptable in the eyes of God. And I felt very privileged to be there on that day, just to see her engage with God without guilt, without shame, without fear, because she couldn't undo what she'd done. And who am I to sentence her to a life of misery? See, God is a God of grace. Where we think there's no way, there's always a way with God. In fact, that's what the Bible says. God makes a way where there appears to be no way. So I think that was the kind of question you were asking me. And uh, I have met a couple of people since like that. And I would encourage them to have their lives as spiritual eunuchs, if you like, separated unto God. Some people don't want that answer. But it's very difficult to sew something back on that's been taken away. Think about it. Not too much so that you fall into sin, but consider it. It's a question here is a lady here. Did you come to any conclusions as to where homosexuality stems from, other than sort of parental neglect and things like that? Yeah, I have, I have a couple of thoughts on that that might be of benefit. Um, I, I have two brothers and a sister, and we all had the same father. My brothers aren't gay. And so I began to ask God about that. I do think that fundamentally, one of the things that I've recognized repeatedly in gay men and in gay women is that the same-sex parent has a dysfunctional relationship with them, often not because of a fault on the parent's side, but sometimes because the child had an expectation or a desire to connect in a way that that parent, for whatever reasons, maybe they didn't have it in their childhood, were unable to do. So I think that is one of the things I recognize. The other thing I recognize about homosexual men in particular is they're incredibly sensitive. There's this fabulous gag about two gay men on the beach in Blackpool. Cecil and Cedric, they're called. And Cecil said to Cedric, I think I'm going to go on the big zipper. This is me acting. You, you can applaud if you like. And Cedric says, whoopee, that would be fabulous. And so Cedric goes up this huge flight of stairs and he's on the Big Dipper and he's waving and shouting and waving and shouting and then he comes off the Big Dipper and the whole thing crashes to the floor and Cedric runs over to him and says, are you all right? Are you all right? He says, of course I'm not all right. I waved at you five times and you never waved back once. (laughs) Homosexual men are very, very sensitive they can be brought up in an environment where there is a dysfunctional father relationship and their makeup, if you like, will cause them to respond and to filter those experiences into their life in a different way than some other guys. I've learned to realize that that's not homosexuality. That sensitivity is a gift from God. When gay men do come into relationship with God, they're often very prophetic and very creative and and usually great with worship and expression and dance and all those things. And you know, the Bible teaches us that masculinity is not about muscles, it's about heart. It's about being a man after God's own heart. And, And King David in the Bible is a perfect example of that. Some of the most poetic and beautiful words ever penned by a human come from the heart of a man who was sensitive. So I think there's a sensitivity that's there in an individual that filters those life experiences. And plus also, whenever those folks go to school, they already have an awareness that they may be slightly different. That difference might just be sensitivity. And who knows that school can be the cruelest place on earth. If you're slightly different in any way, you know, people aren't backward at telling you that you're this or you're that or the other. That just reinforces 
to those individuals that there's something different about them. And then by the time that gets sexualized through puberty, their desire for intimacy with a man which is, which is godly, they want their father, it's godly, it's a connection God wanted to make, gets sexualized and it's transferred onto a relationship, looking for that affection and that affirmation from men rather than being that for women. Does that answer your question? So there's a couple of things there that I've learned along the way that might be helpful if you're trying to understand what goes on. Any more questions? Um, would, you, would you say that your gay feelings are completely gone now? I mean, uh-huh. all together. All together, they're completely yeah. gone. Yeah. Are you glad? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that that's quite unusual, even among people, men that's who right, claim right. to have been reformed, they would still say that they still have gay temptations. Yeah, yeah. I know. And people sometimes think I'm in denial. I am in a way, because I still think I'm thin. But I'm not in denial about that. Okay, let me, let me speak into that for, for a moment. I, I've been given a gift by God, and, and that gift is, has been my wife, really. There's never been a woman that has stirred me in the way that my wife stirs me. I can take no credit for that. I, I remember one time, regarding the whole kind of temptation thing and orientation thing that you're talking about, I remember one time I was Christian three or four years, and I was really struggling with some of that stuff. I was driving down a street in Birmingham, where I lived, and I was ogling a guy at the bus stop, and I drove into the back of a car. (laughs) The guy in the car got out and wanted to kind of kill me, which wasn't that helpful, but I remember crying. I pulled into the lay-by and was crying, saying, God, what is it about this stuff? Why does it keep coming up in my life? And God showed me a couple of things. I don't know if they're of any benefit to anyone. First of all, temptation is a spiritual thing. Even Jesus was tempted. Sometimes we try and deal with temptation by willpower and determination, but it's actually a spiritual thing. And God said to me, when you find yourself tempted in this way, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to pray for your sister. My sister wasn't a Christian, still isn't a Christian, and your brother. And so what I was doing, I believe, is this. I was contending with something spiritual and responding to it in a spiritual way. Rather than trying to think, I'm not going to think, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to... I was actually allowing the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but spiritual for the tearing down of strongholds. I was allowing the spiritual man within me, that new life that God had given me, to contend with the spiritual onslaught. I found after a while that the temptation stopped. I think here's how I did it, and this is a secret, so don't tell Okay, when I would get tempted, I would thank Satan, because he's the author of lies and the tempter. I would thank him for reminding me to pray for my sister. (laughs) And you know, because I was tempted a lot, I prayed a lot. In that, obviously, he doesn't want my sister to become a Christian. So he backed away and stopped tempting me in that way. Does that answer your question? And, and I think sometimes we, we try and deal with temptation, and this is across the board, whatever sexual orientation you may be, we try and deal with temptation by willpower. And in fact, temptation is a spiritual thing, and it can only be dealt with by spiritual means. Didn't know that now, did you? That'll help you, won't it? 
question at the back. Don't you think that this uh, getting is a kind of evil spirit taking stronghold on people that by maybe through fasting and prayer, one can get rid of it through reading, studying the word of God. Like, for example, what happened in your own case? I strongly believe that um, Holy Spirit displaced the spirit. Yeah. And as you keep on studying the word of God, believing God, praying, the evil spirit remains outside. That these people who are still well, claiming that they are gay, they have this kind of evil spirit possessed. Right. Okay. okay. Can I respond to that? I believe that everything that isn't of God spiritually is of darkness. There are only two types of spirit in the world, the spirit of light and truth and hope and righteousness and the spirit of darkness. So every sin that we commit has a spiritual force behind it that has a power over our lives. When it comes to homosexual people, I do believe there are spiritual forces at work behind their lives. But some of it is learned behavior and some of it is also brokenness and pain. And we all know that the Bible teaches us that the devil has come to rob, to steal and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you should have life, John 10, 10, in all its fullness. So anything that's robbing us from the life that Jesus died to give us actually has a spiritual base behind it. What I don't want to do is get down the route where I think that we demonize homosexuals. Because I've met some very sincere, devout, incredibly in love with God people who still struggle with these issues. And I don't believe that they're demonized. I do believe, however, they might be oppressed. I do believe, however, they might be suppressed. But the devil can only stay in people's lives where he has legal access to stay. And I believe when they've agreed with that lie and also adopted that belief system that they're a homosexual, I think they have a contract with spiritual forces of darkness that needs to be broken. The Bible teaches us where two or more agree on something, it shall be, and that's in the positive. But the truth is also the same in the negative. When I start to believe a lie about myself, when I have an ungodly belief, a system that's at work in me that tells me anything other than the word of God tells me about myself, I have to repent of that. I have to break a contract with the spiritual force at work behind that. And I have to ask God to give me the courage, the power, and the anointing to walk away from that. Replacing that ungodly belief with a godly belief. Let me give you an example away from the homosexual subject. The Bible says that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay. Do you believe that? No, you don't. You don't. You want to believe it. In your mind you believe it, but how many days do you live as if that's not the truth? Most days. So the Bible says that that's the truth. The Bible says that God knitted you together in your mother's womb. Didn't he say that? Who knows that God does not make mistakes? Intellectually we can ascend to agreement with that. How many of us believe that we're dysfunctional? Put your hand up. Okay, so what you have 
is an ungodly belief. It's ungodly because it does not line up with what the word of God says, which if we're all agreed in this house tonight is the truth. So if God says it, it must be true. But because God says it's true doesn't mean I'm living in the revelation of that truth and doesn't mean I'm walking in the freedom of that truth. I have to align my life with the word of God. So when we come to the homosexual problem, I believe some of that is the issue. You see, from a very early age, people would have called them queer or puff or gay. And those labels, they stick. So when they identify themselves, they're identifying themselves as a homosexual man. An ungodly belief. God never ever created a homosexual man. Because we're created in the image of God and God is not homosexual. So we could not create homosexuals. It doesn't come out of who he is. Okay? So they have believed a lie about themselves. They've had it reinforced by life experiences. They've also felt within themselves that they're different. We have three areas of agreement. And where there's agreement, there's power. And where there's power, the enemy has an ability to manipulate and to destroy what God wanted to do. So in some cases, when I speak to homosexual people, I bring them on that journey. Has that answered your question? I am listening curiously to hear where you will start advising them that through fasting and prayer that they will get more help. You kind of mentioned that everything negative in our life is caused by evil spirit. That's right. And Jesus Christ made us to understand that through fasting and prayer there's no kind of evil spirit we cannot get rid of. That's right. But it's not just a matter of willpower. It can also, I've counseled people who really are sincerely born again, who are filled with the Spirit and they're still struggling with issues. And it's because, I'll give you an example of this from my own life. I used to be a singer. I was under a management contract, okay, with a lady who was very nice, but she didn't do much for my career. And then I met somebody else and they did an awful lot for my career and I had record deals with CBS and EMI and various people travel the world. What happened whenever my career started to take off is that the contract I had with the lady suddenly became valuable to her. So she wanted 10% of the 20% that I was giving to an agent, which would have meant I'd have to give 30% away. When we come into relationship with Christ, who knows that Jesus has provided everything for us on the cross? He said, didn't he, it is finished. Did Jesus say that you would have a blessed life? Put your hand up if he said that. Did he? He didn't. (laughs) He didn't say that, did he? He said, you will have heartache and struggle in this world, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Okay, so already I'm identifying for you that your presumptions of what it means to be Christian might actually be different than what the word of God says. Freedom is progressive. When I became a Christian, I was cleansed, I was healed, I was set free positionally before God. Jesus has accomplished that for me. But the Bible speaks of sanctification, doesn't it? Ever changing from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. I am more healed now than I was when I became a Christian. Progressively, I have got better. I know it's hard for you to believe, but it's true. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of every demonic force on the earth. But the truth is, sometimes we have agreements, outstanding contracts, where we have aligned ourselves to a truth that's not true, okay, a lie, and it has power over them. Let me give you another lie, and this is a very powerful lie. I think I'm anorexic. 
They tell me one of the symptoms of anorexia is when you look in the mirror and you see a fat person. I think it's true. Must be true for me. Why is it that someone that's beautiful can look in the mirror and see themselves as ugly and fat and repulsive? Why is that? Is that the truth or is that their perception of the truth? What has more power at that point over their lives? What they perceive or what actually is the truth? What they perceive. So as a man or a woman thinks they are. What you believe about yourself, secondary to what you believe about God, are the most important things that you will ever have to grapple with in life. How you see God and how you see yourself. So let's go back to the question at hand. Fasting and prayer is helpful. But if there's an outstanding contract, a belief system, an agreement in the heart of an individual with homosexual issues that says, I am gay, I feel gay, they've told me I'm gay, therefore I must be gay. We have to break that contract. We have to break that contract. It's a legal access point that the enemy has in that person's life. And it doesn't matter whether that sin is sexual or otherwise, that's a legal ground. So when I counsel people, I take them through that process of repentance. I get them to ask God to forgive them for believing a lie about themselves. And in fact, God told me that many years ago. That's one of my biggest problems or was one of my biggest problems. I identified myself as homosexual. I fasted. I prayed. I cried. I fasted for a whole month once without any food, just water, to be free from my homosexual feelings, to find that as I went through the process, those things became magnified in my life. And it wasn't until those contracts were broken where I renounced that ungodly belief in my life that I started to find some freedom. So fasting and prayer, that's all good. It's right. It's what the Bible asks us to do. But sometimes there are legal access points that we have given away to the enemy and he can get in and ravage our lives in those things regardless to how much fasting or praying we do. I know that's probably not the answer you want, but that's the only one I've got. God bless you. One more question, and then I'm going to say something from the Word of God. What would be a recommended attitude for people who call themselves Christians or believers that love God but hate homosexuals? Or maybe every time they meet someone, they look upon the shoulder and despise them, and they don't want even to have them in their churches. What should be the attitude? Repentance. When my preference becomes a prejudice, I'm in trouble. Can I be risky with you? You know, there's a great scripture in the Bible. We love to quote it in regard to the lost. It says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. Do you know you can be a Christian and be an unbeliever? There's areas of your life you don't believe certain things that are truths from the word of God. That doesn't mean you're less blind than somebody who doesn't know God at all. There's nothing worse than the partially sighted trying to lead the blind into the kingdom of God. Sorry, I know that's a bit on the nose, but it's true. I have no right, never will have a right, to judge someone else's sin like it's worse than mine. In fact, the Bible does not speak in those terms. We have categorized sin. All sin is an abomination to God. And do you know why it's an abomination to God? Because it separates people from the reality and the truth of who God is. I'm no better than you and I'm no worse than you. People want me to feel guilty because of the life that I lived. I am completely free from any guilt about where I've been. (laughs) 
Go to Genesis chapter 1 for me. We're not going to preach. Don't worry, don't panic. Look at verse 26 and 27 with me. We spend a lot of tonight looking at things that are out of sync with the Word of God, things that are off beam with the truth of what God's Word says. Now let's end, if you don't mind, by looking at the plumb line and saying, well, this is how it was meant to be, and this is what we're all journeying back to. There are two types of people, those who are in denial and those who are in recovery. As for me, in my house, I'm in recovery. Okay, so the word of God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. In our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. Say in his own image for me. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, look at verse 28, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Here's the plumb line. Here's what it's meant to be like. The Bible teaches us that there's a direct connection between the act of intimacy between a man and a woman and what it means to carry the image of God. God puts those two things together. He says, let's create them in our image, male and female, he created them. And then he goes and tells them to go forth and be intimate with one another. There's a connection between the intimate act, between a man and a woman, that reflects what God looks like. And this is the crux of the matter, not who's gay or gay marriages. Anything other than this is out of line with the word of God. Anything. Promiscuity, out of line. Self-sex, out of line. All these things are out of line with what truly reflects God to the world in which God has placed us. I believe that what we're trying to get back to is what Adam and Eve had before the fall. You'll know, you'll know remember that before the fall, they walked naked in the garden, without shame, without guilt, without fear. Did you ever wonder why they covered their private bits whenever they sinned? It seems to me that one of the first things that Satan wanted to do was to destroy their sacred sexuality. So they became aware of their shame and that which was private to them. And if we're honest, that's continued to be the case. You don't have to teach a child when they get to a certain age to cover certain parts of their body. There's a sense that comes at a certain age where they become aware that it's inappropriate for these parts of their body to be on display. If you go to a nightclub, the opposite seems to be the case. That's a whole other story. I believe that what God wants to do in his church is to revisit with us what it means to reflect the image of God. Male and female, he created them. Now that got me thinking. About five or six years ago, I went on a little trip with God about what that looks like. And God said to me at that time, prophetically and through his word, that when we talk about the image of God, we're not just talking about the Father, we're not just talking about the Son, or we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Godhead. Let us, say us for me, let us, it was a collective agreement between the three members of the Godhead to create man and woman in their image. Now when it talks about being created in the image of God, it's not talking about us looking like God, which I've heard people actually speak on. It's talking about the type of relationship that the Trinity have. 
That is what marriage is meant to be. That is why marriage is sacred. It's a holy mystery because the Trinity, I don't know if you noticed this, is actually a mystery. Amen? So I want to just say a couple of things to you about what this is meant to look like. The Trinity is a community of lovers who are relationally active. It's not a static relationship. It's not one loving one more than the other. They are all relationally active. What that means is, for eternity, they are giving and receiving from one another unconditional loving intimacy. I believe that the male and female form in marriage best represents God because it reflects the Godhead in that manner. It's meant to reflect the Godhead in that manner. Marriage is meant to be a place where unconditional loving intimacy in an active relational way is consistently propagated and celebrated. This is what it means to reflect God. This is what it means to have that connection between the intimate act and what it means to carry the image of God. The second thing about the Trinity that I realize is this, is that it's a community of loving persons in a permanent relationship. Do you know the most important thing that we could ever give our children as we raise up a generation in a world that has many, many ideas and ideals about what relationships should be like is permanency. One of the greatest things that our children struggle with is insecurity about whether or not their mom and dad will stay together. I don't know how many grown-ups I've counseled who've said when it was all falling apart, I just thought it was me. This is the child talking, now an adult. I thought it was me. I thought if I could just have done something or said something. God created marriage to be a permanent thing because it represents the permanency that exists in the Godhead. It's fundamental that our children are brought up in a relationship that they know, that they know, that they know is solid and eternal in some senses. It brings out the best in people, not just for our children, but for ourselves. How many of us have given our hearts, our lives, our bodies away to people whose names we can't even remember? What we do is we sin, if you like, against our true identity as a reflection of God. It's never meant to be like that. So the Trinity are relationally active. They're permanent, always exhibiting, giving and receiving love to each other. Not a convenient relationship, but committed, resolute in their involvement with one another's lives. The third thing, I'm trying to be fast with this. This is years of life. I'm trying to get into five minutes for you. They're also exclusive. Have you noticed that about the Trinity? How many of you love your pastor? Put your hand up if you love your pastor. How many of you are working at that? (laughs) It is a journey. I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Which would you like first? The bad news is he's never going to be part of the Trinity. The good news for him is he's really relieved right now. You know, there are people around us and about us that we honor and we love and we respect and we see the hand of God on their lives. And they may fly to high places in the destiny God has for them. But there's no room for a fourth person in the Trinity. There's no vacant seat. There's no advertised position. However incredible these people may be, they're never going to be part of the Godhead. And that exclusivity in the Godhead is done on purpose 
to represent and to reflect to us how God lives in harmony with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what marriage is meant to be like. It's meant to be exclusive. Now let me talk about exclusivity. It's not having adulterous affairs that are the biggest problem. That is a problem. But how many people do you have in your bed when you're in bed with your wife or your husband? Because sex is not a matter of what we do, but a matter of how we think and what we feel. How many people have you had in bed when you're in bed with your partner in that way? That's why pornography is a multi-billion pound industry. Because it taps into something that's meant to be exclusive and it makes it available to others. The Bible teaches us that I'm to know my wife and that means to know every part of who she is. She's to know me. There's no room for anyone else. Whether in here or here or physically. So they're relationally active, they're permanent, they're exclusive. They're also a relationship that displays an incredible, profound self-giving. I don't know if you ever noticed this. It seems to me like they've just got this little fan club going on where each other is concerned. When Jesus was hailed and celebrated, he would say, all you're seeing is my father. All the time, pointing to his father. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. And the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's this constant giving away of profile and attention to one another. I believe if we had marriages that were a little bit more like that, we'd have a greater reflection to the earth of who God truly is. And finally, they're distinct but they're also complementary. The Father's not like the Son. There are similarities. Spirit is not like Jesus, but there are similarities. Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they are tight, and they are one. You know, one of the reasons why I believe homosexual marriage cannot be of God is because they're not different. They're not distinct. They're the same. Can you think about that? Because that's exactly what God wants us to say. It's not the fact that they're having a sexual union because we've all had them outside of marriage. Let's be honest. Well, not all of us. Some of us have managed not to. But it doesn't reflect the diversity of the Trinity to the world in which God has placed us. Why did God say, let us create man in our image? In our image, he made the male and female. Notice those distinct. Let us, male and female, and then say, go forth and multiply. Have a great time. And as you do this, remember that you're reflecting who we are, the Godhead to the earth in which I've placed you. This is a huge challenge to the church because more and more the family unit and what that is meant to be is being eroded by what we call tolerance. But for us as a people, we're meant to be different. We're meant to have a counterculture to the culture in which God has placed us. And you know what? I don't believe that we best represent God with plaques or loud hailers proclaiming how dreadful this problem is. I think we reflect God our best when we get our house in order and we start to live according to the word of God and what relationships truly look like. I love, I think it was Francis of Assisi. I always get this wrong, so if it wasn't, put it down to him anyway. 
He said, preach the gospel. If necessary, speak. I love it. You and I are on a journey to discover our, our sacred sexuality. Whatever part of that journey you happen to be on, whether it be heterosexual, somewhere in between, or not quite sure which, doesn't really matter to me. And I want to say to you tonight, I don't think God is overwhelmed by that. I think there's a call to a generation that's saying, come home to how it's meant to be. Allow God to heal these broken areas of our lives. I believe Satan has worked really hard at making us dysfunctional and secretive about these areas of brokenness in our hearts. And I want to encourage you tonight to go on an adventure to discover what God has to say to you about your identity. It's of paramount importance, not just to you, but to the world in which God has placed you. Because there's a whole bunch of people looking for a better life. All around you, day by day, you rub shoulders with them. You catch gaze when they are in a queue with you. They're looking for a better life. And if we, the people of God, are not able to reflect that, then they'll look somewhere else. And there's lots of people out there who have a fakeness about them, pretending that it's truth. Will the real church of Jesus Christ please stand up? Will those who are committed to a journey of discovery, to come home to how God intended it to be, please raise their hands and say, I'm here to be counted for this incredible privilege to reflect my God to the world in which my God has placed me. And if you're here tonight and you don't know this God I'm talking about, can I encourage you, do not leave this place without asking more questions about him. I am ruined for any other love than the love of God. I love my wife. It's great what I have. But God reaches the parts that even she can't reach. There's a, a hole in my heart and in my life that only God can fill. I tried for many years to fill it with all kinds of things, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, to find out that it wore off very quickly and cost me a fortune. But what I have with God is eternal. He makes my heart skip a beat. I am obsessed with knowing him. And you know what? You are worth, you are worth discovering why he came. I love this scripture. For God so loved you, he sent Jesus. You might be here tonight thinking, what the heck am I doing in a place like this? I was thinking it about 10 minutes ago. I completely relate to it. But you're in the best place tonight because you're hearing truth. You're hearing truth. God cares about you. He's interested in things in your life you think he's not interested in. And he's desperate for you to come home to a relationship with him. But don't go home tonight if you're here thinking about all these questions and wondering what this God is like without meeting him for yourself. Wouldn't that be a crying shame to be so close and yet at the same time so far away? And Christians, are you committed to getting back to what it's all about? Reflecting God to the world in which he's placed us. In his image he created them, male and female he created them. And then said, go forth. I'm, I'm up for sacred sexuality. I think it's the best. Do you know what? It's really hot. <laughs>